Mindfulness Mode 83. If you want to get out of your head because you, you have thoughts that just won't quit, it can be a mechanical malfunction. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host, Bruce Langford. On Mindfulness Mode, we talk about how people from all walks of life have discovered mindfulness and how it's impacted their lives to help them become more calm, focused, and happy. Thanks so much for joining us here in Mindfulness Mode. To thank you for listening, I'll send you a free copy of my book. I teamed up with author Brian Tracy, along with some other entrepreneurs, to create the best-selling book called Cracking the Success Code. You'll learn more about my story and how I became an anti-bullying advocate, which later led to mindfulness and my mindfulness coaching. Get the book free at mindfulnessmode.com slash cracking. Enter your name and email and you'll have your book downloaded in no time. Enjoy the book, Mindful Tribe. Okay, Mindful Tribe, let's get started. I'm totally thrilled to have Dean Howell on the line today. Hey, Dean, are you in mindfulness mode? I am. Great. In fact, I try to always be in that mode. (laughs) Excellent. Dean Howell is a naturopathic doctor who specializes in brain function. He is the developer of neurocranial restructuring a technique that mechanically optimizes nervous system functions in steady, incremental steps. This gradually optimizes the distribution of neurotransmitter levels throughout the brain. So, Dean, tell us a little bit more about yourself and tell us what mindfulness means to you. Well, I graduated from medical school in 1982, so it puts me in my 60s. And when I have free time, which unfortunately isn't that much still, uh, I play golf and I hike. But but for me, what my life is about and what I try to do for others is to put them in, get, put them in a state where their brain is functioning optimally all the time. So I know that many people use meditation and, and similar techniques to put themselves into a mindful state. And I think that's wonderful. But when I get my work done properly, we're kind of there all the time. Because if we can optimize your nervous system function, you don't have to take a special time of day to make your brain work right. It's going to work right all the time. Well, this is fascinating. So how do you do that? I'm curious. Well, what I focus on is moving the skull bones so that the brain is in a better and better fitting house. You see, the reason why that makes such a big difference is that your brain runs on fluid. Cerebral spinal fluid is the one that carries the neurotransmitters and then blood for glucose and oxygen and so forth. And you have to have both of those fluids to each part of the brain's tissues in order for that part, that area to work right. But it's inside this closed vessel. And this closed vessel determines the fluid flow pattern. So like if if you talk with a hydraulic engineer, they'd say the shape of the vessel determines everything. That's how your car goes up and down at the uh, on that lift at the garage. It's on fluid, right? Right. And so similarly, your brain is designed to run on the optimal fluid, but then life happens. You get squeezed through a small hole being born. You fall down learning to walk. You have sports injuries. People will hit you. Dentists will pull teeth and your face will collapse. You'll have car accidents. And all of those things end up where the person no longer looks symmetrical. So if you look at a picture of yourself and your eyes aren't straight across level, if your nose is crooked, 
if your cheekbones are different heights, if your mouth is tilted, if your posture is less than perfect, then we know that your brain can't be working the way that it was originally designed because the fluid flow patterns can't deliver blood and cerebral spinal fluid in optimal levels to all parts of your brain. And the parts of your brain that are going to malfunction are the ones that get the poorest circulation. Oh, well, so that's very, very interesting. So it's the symmetry that you look for and then you go from there. Yes, Okay, and then what do you do? How do you change it so that the brain is in a space that it was meant to be in? Well, this turned out to be a lot trickier. What I've already told you, people have sort of been realizing for a long time. And that's why when people would go to cranial sacral therapy, for instance, where they move the plates of bones in the head, the person would temporarily feel better and their thinking would be better and their ability to learn would be better. But we found out with that kind of work, and also with spinal manipulation techniques that people would be better right after treatment. And then over the next few days or weeks, they would revert and go back to where they'd been before the treatment. Right. So when people have a car accident, they'll go in two or three times a week and get massages and manipulations, hoping that some of that will retain so that they can recover from the car accident. Well, it took me years to figure out why it wasn't working right. It was a, a chance observation that when I pushed, bumped into somebody before they had their treatment, you know, the, they have a certain amount of stability when you bump into them, you know. And then the same person, when they, I bumped into them, I did a treatment on them, they got up, and I bumped them a second time. I don't know what was, why I was so awkward that day, but it was a wonderful thing. Uh -huh. Because the second time they had just had a treatment and they had just, the woman had just said about how good she was feeling. She goes, oh my gosh, that's wonderful. Mm -hmm. I'm feeling so good. My head's all open. I can think I could move every which way and it's perfect. And then I bumped into her and she about went flying. And it's like, I barely hit you. She goes, I know you barely hit me, but I can't stand upright. And we, I pushed on her and, and I, with one finger, I could push her over. Mm. And I started checking other people, and it was the same thing. I started thinking, maybe I need to accumulate the treatments that will make a person more stable. Let me try that. And I started doing that, and the treatments started lasting. And they came back a few weeks later, and I could change them more, and we could accumulate the results. Suddenly, I had figured out why the spinal manipulation and cranial manipulation techniques, why they were temporary. It's because they didn't. They left out one extra step, which is checking the gravitational stability. So once I had that little kernel of knowledge, that became neurocranial restructuring as a therapy. And you called it checking their gravitational, what was the third word? Stability. Stability, checking their gravitational stability. And once you're able to check that, then how do you help them to maintain that stability? Well, what we do now, once we can measure stability, then we try doing treatments that make a person more symmetrical in their body parts. And what we found out was that if we did too much, like a lot, a lot, a lot of cracking and popping, mm -hmm. that we couldn't get them to stabilize. So we had to learn when to stop treating on a given day. And so I started working in four-day treatment blocks. So I have people come in four days in a row. Uh -huh. And then what we find is that for the next month or so, they keep slowly changing for the better. They're stabilizing and their symmetry improves. And then another month, if they're still not quite good enough, I'll treat them another four days. And the next month and so forth. And as we accumulate more changes, they're able to 
create fewer and fewer of their annoying symptoms. So I don't treat them differently for learning disabilities as I would for headaches, as I would for neck and back pain. All of these symptoms go away as I optimize their overall structure. So are you a chiropractor? I'm a naturopathic doctor. That means I get to have an ND after my name because I'm a nice doctor. <laughs> okay. Okay. So you're not a chiropractor. These are not chiropractic treatments then. Is that right? No. Legally speaking, they're not. Although in most states, a chiropractor can legally perform the techniques that I do, but not very many chiropractors have been trained. Okay. So tell us more about ND. Tell us more about that. Oh, well, out in the West Coast, naturopathic doctors are licensed in all the states. So I'm licensed in Washington State, and it is a parallel licensing to what medical doctors have. Okay. So I am, for instance, I'm allowed to prescribe some kinds of drugs. I would be allowed to do minor surgery, like stitch up a, a wound or something like that, but I'm not permitted to do surgery. It's outside my training. I'm also uh, allowed to do IVs, so I can we can do chelation and vitamin C drips and and many other things that we probably wouldn't be interested in. But the idea with a naturopathic doctor is that all of medicine is divided according to the medical dictionary into two camps. One is called allopathy. That means that you're dealing with the person's symptoms, and the other is called naturopathy. And that's when you're treating the cause of their condition. So that if you come to see me and you say you have a headache and I say, would you like an aspirin? I'm offering you allopathic care because it's going to, supposedly at least, the aspirin is going to relieve the headache. Right. That makes sense. So if you come to me as a naturopathic doctor and you have migraines and I prescribe herbs, I'm, uh, I could either be an allopath or if the toxicity of the person is a problem and it's a detoxification medicine, then treating the cause of their problem could be treating the, the toxicity. So with neurocranial restructuring, I'm doing naturopathic treatments because I'm treating mechanical reasons why people could have headaches, ringing of the ears, poor hearing, problems with draining their sinuses, or various kinds of thinking and emotional complaints as well. Right. So I work with all those conditions mechanically. And as that goes away, that is true naturopathy. Okay, so are NDs recognized in other countries? What's the status in Australia, in Canada, and in other countries? Now, in Canada, they are licensed in, I think, all the provinces. And, and right now, we're licensed in a little less than half of the states of the United States. So all of the West Coast, Alaska, Hawaii, Washington, Oregon, California, Montana, Nevada, Arizona, we have licensing in all those states. Only Idaho doesn't. On the East Coast, it's all of New England, except Massachusetts has licensing. And then in the South, there's almost no licensing. So, But, but anyway, the idea here is that in all of Canada, there's licensing. Australia has people that call themselves naturopaths, and, and England has people that call themselves naturopaths, but they do not have practice privileges in, the, in those countries. The doctors that go to my alma mater, Bastyr University, which is in Seattle or San Diego, the doctors that are from countries like the Philippines and India and different countries in Africa, 
when, once they have their medical degrees, they're allowed to sit for their national board exams because our education's actually, uh, we have more education than medical doctors and osteopathic doctors have uh, in terms of like study time in classes. You know, we, we have more education. So in many countries, they'll accept us. But then when we get our license, like I had a license for Dominican Republic for a while, and my license there said I was an MD a medical doctor instead of a naturopathic doctor because they didn't have licensing for naturopathic doctors, but they accepted my educational background. Fascinating. Well, thanks for all this background about NDs and where you stand with that. That's fascinating. Now, let's talk a little bit more about mindfulness itself, because it sounds like once you are able to do your treatments, people can very easily become much more mindful, much more in touch with themselves. Does that make sense? It not only makes sense, it's the truth. You know, if you want to get out of your head because you you have thoughts that just won't quit, it can be a mechanical malfunction of your skull that's triggering your brain to be in a place like that. And it's usually about discharging thoughts in order to meditate well, right? I mean, that's the the big secret. Right. Well, the better your brain is operating, and that's a mechanical level, the easier it is for you to clear your head of that stuff. And so what we find is that people that want to be intuitive and, and psychic and things like that, their, their skills improve greatly with that. People will talk about their meditations being more profound than they've ever experienced before because they're going through, at least part of the time, normal brain function, not common brain function, normal brain function, which means optimal. Well, that's fascinating. So tell me about a a patient that's gone through this and they've reached that point of these really profound experiences with meditation. Do you have some examples of that? I have uh, a guy that comes to see me who is a meditation teacher. Oh, really? And he started getting these treatments and he didn't want to stop because he was meditating better and better. And what he was finding was that he at first had to always sit like in lotus position and in a darkened room and it had to be quiet. And, and when he did all of those things, he was able to, to get into the right mental state where he wanted to be. But as, as he got better, he started experimenting with fewer of the isolation phenomena things for himself. So he stopped darkening the room. And then he started opening the door and letting household noises in. And he found that as he improved in the quality of his thought, that those other things didn't bother him and he was still able to meditate even with all the household noises. And, and uh, he said, he got to a point though, he said, the cat still pulls me out. <laughs> <laughs> so if the cat came up and sat in his lap, that would bring him out. But other than that, he could stay in that position as long as he wanted. Wow, isn't that fascinating? Well, so tell me this. Are there any side effects? Is there anything that can go wrong with these treatments? The treatments themselves are extremely safe. I've done them on babies that were two hours old, and I've worked on women as old as 96 years old. My mother's ninety, almost 92, and she's still regularly having her treatments. It helps keep the elderly sharper, right? Their brains work better, so they don't get as spacey and forgetful. Because okay. we keep their brain working the way it should. So why would you do a treatment on a two-hour-old baby? I'm curious. Oh, well, in his that was my nephew. Uh-huh. And when he came out through my sister's pelvis, 
they needed to do forceps mm-hmm. and pull his head out. And then it was my sister. He was my sister's third child. Mm-hmm. And she put him on her breast to nurse and his nose was blocked and he couldn't suck. Oh. This is an interesting thing. If you try it, pinch your nose and then see if you can drink through a straw. You'll find you can't do it. Ah. There's a little bit of airflow through your nose when you're drinking from a straw. Right. Anyhow, here he was, this screaming, you know, half-hour-old child. Yes. Screaming because he couldn't nurse. So my sister called me up at work and said, you better get over here with your equipment to the hospital. And so I came over with my seven-year-old daughter. This would have been, mm-hmm. and, uh, or gosh, 30 years ago. Anyhow, 30 years ago. <laughs> and uh, uh, she held the door shut because I wasn't part of the hospital staff. Oh. And then I worked on the little baby boy, and I got the balloons through from his nose into his throat, opened them up so we could we could actually see the difference because we could see how his bones had shifted in the bridge of his nose. Okay. And uh, he took a big breath through his nose and sighed. My, my his mother put him on her breast and he started sucking and he passed right out. And uh, that was why I worked on him was so he could breathe through his nose. But I want to work on other babies because I would rather optimize them right now to take any of the trauma stuff left from their birth. So I would want to work on them right away. I want everybody that I see to be as symmetrical as I can get them. So I work on babies and, and children as they're toddlers. They fall down. I keep working on them. What we find is that those kids are smarter. They walk sooner. They have better coordination. They don't have problems with teething. They are much less likely to get colds and flus because their sinuses will drain better. And I work on the old people just kind of for the reverse so they can keep walking, so they can keep talking, so they can keep thinking. Right. Right. This is really fascinating. So have you written medical and scientific reports on this? We have written some and had them declined to be published. Probably our, our single best study was performed. We did that study about uh, 14 years ago, and uh, it was a migraine study that we did in Texas, where we took a dozen people with medically uh, medically diagnosed and treated migraines. So these people had the little uh, imipramine injections, so they could give themselves shots when their migraines were coming on, to so they wouldn't have to go to the emergency room. Anyhow, uh, we worked on those folks and. We found that the women that had migraines just before their their menstrual periods, they didn't respond very well to these treatments. They didn't improve or disprove. But everybody else, there was a 91% improvement in the frequency and severity of their migraines. And a, a few people in the study reported in this, they only had eight treatments, so two four-day series of treatments, they reported, some of them reported that they'd never had a migraine again. Really? And so we sent this into journals, mm-hmm. and they declined, saying it was clear that we had falsified information because there was no medical therapy that affected So they just didn't believe it, as simple as that. Yeah, so they were calling us fraudulent. Uh-huh. And so it never got published. And we've had the same uphill battle all the rest of the time. I did a 2010 study with the Marine Corps. 100% success treating PTSD. It was a small group. I'm sure there's some people it wouldn't work on, but I haven't met that person yet. 
Mm. <laughs> Everybody with PTSD that I've treated has gotten tremendously better. Anyhow, so, you know, there's, it, ours is not a fair system that's designed to always help the best. So are you the only person qualified to deliver this treatment or tell me about that? Well, I've been training people since 1996. So 20 years now I've been training people and I've trained over 150 people in that time. Unfortunately, I kept improving the methods and a lot of the doctors uh, have dropped out. So only about 10% of the doctors I've trained uh, are still following my, my newest protocols and others have renamed my work even uh, so they'll call it you know, we call it neurocranial restructuring NCR for short, right? Because it's a long word, uh, long phrase, and and so now there's FCR, there's CRT, there's NCRT, and all these are people that were my students that are still doing my work, but they're doing their particular spin on it, mainly because they wanted the, the treatments to be quicker. Oh. They wanted to get more treatments per hour so they could make more money. Oh, and, oh money. Uh, well, you know, it's 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 a reality. What can I say? Yeah, uh, I, I improved the technique and it slowed it down, and so a bunch of people dropped out. Interesting. But if you go to my website, you can find me, and then there's a website called NCR Doctors that links to my website, and that's where the people that have taken, that follow the protocols are. So you can find them still easily enough. Right. I see. So, so you practice this on a regular basis then today? Yes. In fact, I'm in the middle of my work day. I'm at my Seattle area office today. And then uh, next uh, on Saturday of this week, so today's uh, Tuesday, Saturday of this week, I'll be in my uh, Los Angeles area office. Mm-hmm. And then that's the uh, 16th through 19th mm-hmm. and then on the 21st I'll be in San Diego and then the first weekend of of May I will be in Brooklyn New York and then I'll be back in Seattle and then I'll be in Eastern Washington and then in June I'll be back in New York and San Diego and Los Angeles and Colorado and in July I'll be back in London as well as other places so you have offices in all these places or are these offices that belong to other people Oh, well, I'm borrowing other offices or mm-hmm. lots of different situations. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm not in those places enough to make uh, yeah. an isolated office cost effective. Sure. So. No, I understand that. I didn't know whether you might have had other people that are operating those offices part of the time or quite how you did well, you know, it. We're working in that direction. Uh-huh. You know, we're working on plans now to, to have a chain of neurocranial restructuring clinics around the United States. And so maybe it'll even happen. <laughs> you know how plans don't always yes. do progression, but that's, that's my hope. Right. Well, that's just amazing that you can tell by looking at a person, if they're not symmetrical, that means, okay, there's a problem here with your brain. Is that right? Do I have this right? Yeah. And not only with their brain, with the rest of their body. Because if you see someone with a high shoulder, mm-hmm let's say their right shoulder's high, well, then their right hip will be low, and they will have a slight amount of spiral in their spine, a slight scoliosis. And we can show that that scoliosis in their spine is also a scoliosis pattern that's in their head. So 
people with chronic neck and back pains have structural problems that includes their head. And then additionally, when your head is twisted, then your head can't work perfectly either. Your vision can be off, your jaw function, your nasal breathing, your sinus drainage, and of course your various thinking patterns. Okay, so we're integrated. We're one body. We can separate them, but that's artificial. Let's say I'm listening to this interview and I'm thinking, wow, this could really help me. What kind of costs are involved to have treatments like this? Well, it, is, it isn't as inexpensive as getting a massage or chiropractic treatment, but it lasts longer. So it kind of evens out that way. Uh, to, to see me, um, it depends on which location I'm at. It's anywhere from 800 to uh, $1,300 for four days. 1300 being when I go to Europe. Um, and, and then uh, and my students uh, will charge as low as about $500 for four days. Okay. Five, 500 to $800. So it's not really cheap, but then, you know, uh, I, I allow 30 to 40 minutes for a treatment. I do four days in a row, and then I don't usually need to see you immediately afterwards. So, for instance, I go to, to Europe two or three times a year, and people can come see me there, not even every time I return there, and they're still getting better. Right. I have a guy from South Africa. I see him about two-year intervals for four days of treatment, and yet he's still improving. Right. So this must be incredibly rewarding for you to see the improvement that, that people experience. Well, it, it is. And in fact, I was trying to figure out how to not travel so much yes. because I'm getting older. Uh-huh. And these treatments are kind of like addictive. And the idea of going back into family medicine, which is my original field, I, I couldn't face it. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I haven't figured out the solution yet. <laughs> right, because you're keeping a very hectic schedule, aren't you? Yeah, and as I said, I'm I'm tired of it. But mm-hmm. gosh, you know, when I'm working, it's so exciting. The changes that I get to see, right? You know, it's it's so much fun to be part of that. I'm sure. And if I stay home, my gosh. What is there? There's books and TV and I can write, but that isn't as near as much fun. <laughs> no, no, I can, I can imagine. Dean, I've worked in bullying prevention for quite a long time, and I've seen how mindfulness can really make a huge difference with adults and children who have been bullied. Have you run into any situations or do you have a story about bullying where mindfulness would have really made a big difference? Uh, more often, uh, I, I probably, some of the people I do see are bullies that I treat, but most of them, if I'm, if I'm aware of them, I, I associate them more with violence. Mm-hmm. And I have good results treating violent people in terms of changing their behaviors. Really? Yeah. Kind of interesting. I had that a guy is. that, uh, well, first time I had a, a six-year-old brought to me and he lived in a small town near my family practice office. So this was a long time ago. And this little boy was six years old Mm -hmm. and he delighted in headbutting people. And his family brought him in because I, I had treated his mother before. And the, and this time they brought him in because he had broken his mother's nose with his forehead. And when she sat there crying with blood pouring out of her nose, he laughed. Oh. And they were trying to figure out what to do. 
And I had said, maybe I should work on him to see if I can change his behavior. Mm-hmm. So they decided it was worth it because if not that, they figured they were going to have a child that was going to be going to jail <laughs> in a few more years, mm-hmm. you know. And so I worked on him. And I, I think I did about six days of treatment on him. Mm-hmm. And during that time, he hadn't headbutted anybody. Mm-hmm. And no, everyone was just waiting for him to do that again because if he sat on someone's lap, he tended to headbutt them. And then when they would grab their nose and cry or get upset, he would laugh. Mm-hmm. So finally one day he's again on his mother's lap and it's been weeks since he's headbutted anybody. And his mother looks him in the eye and suddenly she knows he's going to headbutt him and she lowers her forehead so that he wasn't going to hit her nose. Mm-hmm. And he whacks her on the head with his head and immediately bursts in tears. Oh. And, and he goes, Mommy, 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 it hurt. And he starts crying. Mm-hmm. He never headbutted anybody ever again. Because what had happened was that the way his headphones were aligned, he had no pain. His, and you'll see this with football players. Uh, the guys that will sometimes play center linebacker, you'll see them and you'll look at them and it looks like the letter X goes through the top of their nose where their wrinkles are between their nose and forehead. Okay. And that's what this little boy had. And when I worked on him those six times, those wrinkles went away and then suddenly he was pain sensitive again. He didn't headbutt anybody for the same reason that you and I don't. It's because it hurts. Mm. You know, I've never been desperate enough to need to headbutt somebody to make no. them stop doing something. But it right. hurts, see? And anyhow, and so then later I had a boxer, and he was a Golden Gloves boxer with headaches after he'd lost a fight. And he came to see me, and I started working with him. And I got rid of the headaches, and he stopped seeing me, and I called him up, and I said, why did you stop seeing me? And he says, because it's no fun to have someone feel like they're hitting you in the face. That's what he thought that the treatments felt like for him when he, when you can't punch him back. Oh. And, and so I've worked with a lot of people with these aggression problems. And as their head shape changes, those behaviors stop. And I think that that could be the solution to most bullying problems, is that if we treat them to where their brains work properly, they'll no longer think that bullying is a solution. Isn't that fascinating? Very fascinating. Dean, my next questions are part of the multi-mode round. Just short 30-second answers are perfect. Here's the first one. Who's one person who has influenced you in the area of mindfulness? Perhaps uh, Ram Das. How has mindfulness affected your emotions or those of your patients? By being mindful, I make sure that I don't put myself in situations where I'm going to be uncomfortable. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness practice. Learning to systematically underbreathe is crucial for your health because when you overbreathe, you lower your carbon dioxide levels too much and your brain starts making malfunctions. That could be a whole show on its own. That's fascinating. Can you share an app which helps you to be more mindful? No, is there a mindful app? Well, there are apps that help people with mindfulness. And sometimes it's as simple as a timer that 
helps them keep on track or sometimes it's sort of a productivity app that helps them stay organized so that then they don't find that their brain is going all over the place wondering what they should do next. Oh, I get it. No, I had never thought of that. Yeah. But then I've, my brain has been treated for many years. <laughs> so you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> so what advice would you give a person who is new to the idea of mindfulness and they'd like to start using it in their life? My advice would be to forgive yourself when you don't do it perfectly and to try and try again. Great advice. Well, it's certainly been fascinating talking with you and learning about what you do and what you've developed with your technique and how you've been helping people all over all over the world, really. So it's absolutely fascinating. And I just want to know, how can we learn more about what you do and maybe connect with you? Okay. Then come to my website, because uh, it's better than my Facebook or tweet page, Twitter pages. Uh, and it's it's my name. So it's D-R for doctor. D-E-A-N-H-O-W-E-L-L, so drdeanhowell.com. And then the associated site for other doctors that are following my protocols is ncrdoctors.com. That's Nancy Charlie Radio Doctors.com. And between those two sites, there's a lot of information about what I do. Fascinating. Well, Dr. Howell, thank you so much for spending this time with us here on Mindfulness Mode. And I wish you all the luck with all the wonderful things you're doing to help your patients. Thank you, Bruce. Bye now. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.